Amen. All right, check this out, all right? Uh, the sin of this city was so great and so grievous, okay, that the people showed no signs of reversal, that it was on the verge of being wiped out from the face of the earth forever, all right? And so that's when the bargaining began. And when something like this, it said, uh, well, if there's uh, 50 righteous people there, uh, will you still destroy the city? And the reply came back, if I find 50 righteous people in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. So the bargaining continued. Well, what if the number is 45? If I find 45 there, okay, the voice said, uh, okay, I, I won't destroy it. And on and on and on it went until it reached the final plea. Well, what if there's only 10 righteous people? If 10 righteous people can be found there, okay, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. But you see, the problem was there wasn't even 10 righteous people in the city, and so it was destined to be destroyed. Okay, however, in an amazing act of mercy, two supernatural beings were sent to rescue four of the people, and they even graciously extended the offer to their family. But the family just laughed, and they scoffed, and they thought it was a big old joke, and so they sealed their utter doom. And then almost as if to prove why this city needs to be destroyed, all the men of the city, both young and old alike, gathered around this family's house and demanded that they release the two male visitors so they could have sex with them. So the family slammed the door, and the supernatural beings struck the sinful men with blindness so they couldn't find them. And that was the last straw. The, the time was up, judgment was at hand, and the supernatural beings literally dragged these four people by the hand out of the city just in the nick of time. All of a sudden, fire rained down from the sky, destroyed every single thing in the area, people, plants, and animals. In fact, when all was said and done, uh, the entire territory was nothing but a pile of scorched dead earth, an absolute, complete wasteland. And yet, listen to this, in spite of this, one of the four, the wife, revealed her true heart at the last moment by longingly looking back upon the sinful city. Oh, And so it was that she too, even in fleeing, was destroyed. The book is Genesis, and of course, the judgment is home, Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Now, how many guys are familiar with the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah? Most of us, especially the older generation. Younger generation, probably not so much. And the reason why is because of all the judgments in the Bible that people don't want to talk about, especially today, guess which one? This one, okay? And I think for obvious reasons, okay? That very sin, homosexuality, invited the judgment of God on Sodom and Gomorrah. People don't want to deal with it. It's that very sin that our uh, president is pushing forth, passing, our courts are passing. Uh, our president is not only pro with that, but he's also, at the same time, he's being applauded for it. The very sin that invited the judgment of God that destroyed that city, okay? And here's the point, folks. You couple that with all the other unfortunate sins that we're committing in our country. We talked about abortion and murder, 57 million children since 1973. You look at what's going on here, folks. If we think here in America that if something doesn't turn around, if we think we're not headed for judgment, you're reading the wrong Bible. Because the scripture is very clear. God does not uh, play with sin. And one day when you least expect it, bang, judgment is coming from the hand of God. The reason why he tarries is because he is a God of love. He's not willing that any should perish, but everyone come to repentance. But be rest assured, one day the hammer is coming down. And the same is true with our country, okay? So here's the point. You would think then, therefore, and that's just another judgment. Each week you're starting to see a pattern. We're reading judgments by God throughout the Bible on very sin, okay? So you would think that people would take note of that. And so if God warns of a future coming judgment... Okay, we don't know the exact day nor the hour, but if he warns that it could happen any time now and you better be ready, that we would be ready, right? That we would stand up, take notes and say, hey man, I better get right with God so I don't suffer the coming judgment of God. Praise God, he even made a way out. Wouldn't that be the logical response? What's the problem? 
The problem is because the lie of our society today, not just hard hearts, but the lie of evolution. And the lie of evolution would have people to believe that there is no God. And then even those who want to flirt with the idea of God, one thing that our country absolutely refuses to believe in, talk about, even preach from the pulpit, is that God is a God who will judge. God is a God who will judge. Okay? And the problem is, the more that these people persist, they are run the risk of missing out. And they are going to be headed to doom. Okay? So that's why we're going to continue. That's right in our study to help these people out, hopefully. Uh, the witness of creation. And uh, what we've been doing is taking a look at different evidences of creation and showing us that God, uh, he's not just real, but praise God, we really can have a beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Before it's too late is the tagline there. Okay. Uh, how many guys realize that you don't have forever to accept Jesus as your savior? Amen. Okay. And uh, that's the pressing issue. Okay. And we've already seen that God's shown us this amazing truth in several different ways. We've already seen the first evidence was the evidence of an intelligent creation. The second one was the evidence of a young creation or young earth. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. The third one was the evidence of a special creation. Evolution is a lie, and all the mechanisms, even if you ignore intelligent design, give them their millions and billions of years, it doesn't even work, and they even admit it. Okay? And as bankrupt as it was, we saw that the one guy even stated, uh, he said, well, why don't you just take out all the lies that you're using to support evolution in the textbooks? And he actually came back with that response. Remember that? Well, what will we use to teach evolution then? That's how bankrupt it was, okay? But the last three times uh, we saw the fourth evidence was the evidence of a judge creation. And what we saw, folks, is it's really true, even though the scoffers want to deny it, which Peter said exactly what they would do in the last days, okay? There really was a global catastrophe, i.e. God judged this whole planet one time with a worldwide flood, and we've been seeing that there's lots of evidence out there. We saw that with the lineage, with the language, with the legends, the great fossilizations, all these dead things buried in rock layers all over the world. Where do you think that came from? Okay, wasn't a common, it was a flood. And then last time we saw the evidence of a God-inspired deluge. And that helped answer the question of the skeptic who would say, oh, come on, give me a break. Yeah, there's no way that there would be enough water, uh, you know, for 40 days and 40 nights to cover the whole planet, including the tops of the mountains to 20 feet. Well, yeah, it's because you didn't read your Bible. Okay, it didn't just come from above, it came from where? Below, and you combine those two together, especially from below, there's plenty enough water uh, to cover the whole planet, okay? Now, <clears throat> which kind of leads into the fourth one now, the fourth evidence, we know God judges planet once, he's gonna do it again, and that is the evidence of a grand uprising, okay? The Bible says something very interesting happened, not only at the time of the flood, when the springs of the water uh, burst forth, but what we're also gonna see is at the flood, when God wanted the waters to recede, he caused the mountains to rise up and the valleys to sink down. And it answers why we see and have the topography on the earth today, okay? And this is what the skeptic uh, is going to say, okay? Evolution would have you and I believe that when we travel around Las Vegas here, the reason why we see those mountains the way that they are is because that took millions and billions of years of geological transformation and volcanic eruptions and collusions. And slowly over time, it produced these sedimentary layers and these mountains slowly crumbled. That's what evolution says, right? Evolution says that the Grand Canyon took millions and millions of years to form. And, and this Colorado... Is, wait till next week, Lord, when we get into that. You see? All these things, all these, uh, the, the mountains and the, the, the badlands and all these uh, features around the planet, and they say, oh, it took millions. Is that true? No, of course it's not. In fact, when you take a look at these structures, when you take a look at the topography on the earth, folks, it's all about a flood. It's like somebody really messed up the real estate real bad, pulled the plug, and, and this is what we got. 
That's what happens when you look at the fact, okay? And that's what we're going to do tonight. So let's start with that, and let's open your Bibles to, back to our text, uh, Genesis chapter 7, and take a look at the flood. <clears throat> Where and what did this water do? Where did it come from? And uh, let's take a look, Genesis chapter 7. And uh, when you get there, say moo. Moo. I don't even know what that was. Anyway, that's right. Genesis chapter 7, verse 6 through 12. Let's take a look there at this event, okay? And here's what it says. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds, and of all the creatures that move along the ground, and male and female came to Noah and entered the ark as God commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. Sure enough. In fact, it, boy, you talk about exacting. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, <clears throat> the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were open, and the rain fell on the earth for how long? 40 days and 40 nights. And again, if you were here last time, that's the text that we opened up with, but it tells us uh, where the waters came from, okay? It wasn't just from above. What did it say there? It came from below. The springs of the great deep uh, came and burst forth, okay? And that's where the waters came from. And it was these waters that the Bible would say is what rearranged uh, all the water on the earth, okay? But the skeptic's gonna come back and say, oh, give me a break, okay? They're gonna, and maybe you heard something like this. They'll say, well, okay, really? So there was really that much water that covered the whole planet, right? And I know it says God caused the waters to recede, but give me a break. If there really was that much water that covered the whole world and the mountains to the top of 20 feet, where'd the water go? Well, I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but did you know about three-fourths of the water uh, of the earth is still covered with water? Hello? <laughs> it's called the oceans, right? But still, even if you were to do that, uh, you still need more water. So where is the rest of that water? Well, the, we're, we're going to see the Bible says that God pulled the plug, if you will, and he caused it to go back down the earth. Little do people know, folks, that there is a massive amount of water down below our feet. Our earth is not just made up of just dirt all the way to the core. There's a massive amount of water below. And so let's take a look at that. There's tons of water. There's so much water, folks. If God wanted to flood this world again, he could do it, as we're going to see, 10, 30 times over. Let's take a look at the proof of that. First of all, here's just one example of underground water underneath the dirt, so to speak, is the Ogallala Aquifer, and it's underground water source so huge, folks, there's a map over there, that lies beneath eight states in the United States, occupies some 175,000 square miles, which is why we do and can pump more than five trillion gallons of water from it every single year, okay? And that's just one of these aquifers uh, throughout the United States, and that's just the United States. Massive amount of water. Now, by the way, just as we've been seeing in a prophecy study, uh, this is the same aquifer that's being sucked up and dried up and starting to collapse on itself that's creating the famine-like conditions in California, but that's a side note. Oh, and just as a side note, this is kind of cool. My brother, he used to work for uh, uh, AWA, Air, Air Weather Operating Systems, and he would go into different airports around the world and install these uh, computer systems that would give them the cloud height and barometric pressure and all that stuff. So a lot of times he's going out to these uh, little teeny tiny little airports and stuff like that. And uh, so he was down in one, I think it was in New Mexico, Arizona. And so oftentimes he'd get there and he wouldn't have anything to do because they're supposed to have this concrete slab poured. Well, it's not done. He can't do anything. So the company just paid for him to sit in a hotel. So he's bored to death, right? So he's always going and getting to find these cool places, right? So he's down there and he finds this out and there's what to do in the middle of nowhere. And there's this weird cave. It's supposed to be the deepest cave in the world, or I forget where it was, whatever. 
And he says he went to this cave, and he said it was, uh, 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 they get in there, and inside the cave is this just huge you know, water thing, and the guy says they, they, to this day, still do not know how deep that, that well is inside this cave. And so my brother can begin to ask him some questions. And so he was like, he says, that, well, haven't you even tried? He says, yeah, we tried. He says, but we can never get to the bottom. He says, what they've actually done is they've actually had cable, cable, and they've lowered it with a camera, and you can only get down so far, and a current, a current so fast, uh, uh, literally rips and shreds the cable apart. They can't ever get to the bottom. And this is a massive current of water going underneath. I don't even know if it's the same as the, I don't think it's the Ogallala, aquifer but anyway he says in fact he says and it's a it must be a big one because they said when mount saint helens blew they found some of that ash in that water in that cave down in new mexico and arizona so folks are underneath the ground there is a lot of water but this is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg okay there's a thing that they literally just and this is their term for it called the blob uh it's discovered in the earth's mantles located more than 500 miles under the western caribbean sea it's 800 miles thick 380 miles tall I mean, guys would say that's a lot of water, a little bit. This one is another, literally, underground ocean. Scientists discovered another source of water that reveals a reservoir that's the size of the Arctic Ocean in the Earth's mantle. These are all starting to stack up. But again, this is still nothing uh, compared to what's down there. The Japan discovery, uh, Motohiku Murakami of the Tokyo Institute, Technology of Japan, found that there may be five times the amount of water in the mantle than all the Earth's oceans. I mean, guys would say that's a lot of water. I mean, guys, who said it's sufficient to flood the earth, okay, on top of what's already there. And he found that this discovery was 620 miles below the earth's surface. Now, if you hear last time when we busted into the Hebrew, we saw that there's a Hebrew word that it's like God laid an axe to the earth. Remember that? Bacaw. Remember that? So you imagine that at 620 miles down, that's a lot of pressure, right? And so God cracks the earth's mantles. We saw like the seams of the baseball there, and boom, that stuff's going to come flying up with great pressure. It'll probably even make it into the atmosphere and really mess things up and Interesting, okay. Uh, this one's a while. I had to show this. It's been discovered. It's called a wadzolite deposit. It's a mineral in the Earth's mantle, okay. And what's interesting, this mineral uh, uh, holds water. And not just a little bit of it. This mineral actually holds a ton of it, okay. And it's everywhere all over the Earth, okay. And apparently they've calculated there's so much of this wadzolite down below us with water in it. Listen to this. That it's been estimated that it holds enough water to fill anywhere from 10 to 30 of our oceans. There's a massive amount of water still under our feet. So the skeptic comes up and says, hey, where's all this water go? Well, first of all, get in a boat, go look at the Pacific or the Atlantic. Hello. Okay, number two, there's a ton of it below us, right? Why don't you teach that in school? Oh, I'm sorry, that would probably agree with the flood, so that's what they don't. And this is exactly what God says, folks. He says that all these things that happen to the earth happen at the flood, the topography. All this water, when this water, listen, uh, when God said he caused them to recede, when it went down, okay, it caused a major uproar on this planet. Okay, everything at that time, as we're going to see in a little bit, was soft sedimentary mud. And God gives the command, and the waters begin to recede, and they fled in a very quick fashion. We'll see in a second. And so it's going to twist the landscape. It's going to contort it. We're going to have weird-shaped things like, say, in the badlands and weird stuff. It's all created at the flood. The water's still down there. That's where it went, but it really messed up the earth and create the topography that we have today. And this is what we see in this passage here. God pulled the plug, okay? Psalm 104, verse 6 through 9 says this, You, speaking of God, covered it, the earth, with the deep as with a garment. Speaking of the flood. The waters were standing where? How big? How much? Above the mountains. Again, agreeing with the Genesis account. 
And at your rebuke, God's rebuke, what did the waters do? Just drip off? No, fled. So this is a very fast, rapid, uh, voracious event. At the sound of your thunder, thunder, they hurried away. Okay? And the mountains rose, the valley sank down to the place where you established them. And you, God, set a boundary that they may not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. Right? Anybody glad that there's mountain rages protecting the ocean from coming back and flooding? Okay, so God set those boundaries up for us. But that's what the Bible says. After the earth was covered in uh, a flood, okay, so deep that it covered the mountains, what happened next, apparently, okay, is that the mountains rose up, okay, and then the valley sank down, and it created the, the uh, thing that we have today, okay? Which is wild, because if you think about this, and if you realize that, listen, the topography that we see today, all of it, every bit of it, all the mountains, the Grand Canyon, the bat, everything, er, translate that when you're out there looking. I know it might be kind of a bummer because you're trying to hopefully get that nice-looking sunset shot and put it on Facebook, right? But if you could translate it, when you go to one of these monuments, God hates sin. That's really what's going on. I, I was on a speaking engagement uh, several years ago on the East Coast. And this guy, it was, it was during the time there, if you've ever been there on the East Coast when all the leaves are changing in the fall. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like uh, fruity pebbles. You ever eat that cereal? Fruity pebbles on the trees, man. It's just wild, right? And he even took me across the steel. And there's these ponds out there, these little miniature lakes. And so you got the double reflection going. And it was beautiful. And so he's driving. He's kind of boasting like, eh, look at this. This is where we get to live, you know, stuff like that. I go, wow, yeah, that is pretty cool. I says, and just think, this is the cursed version. It was like a new thought dropped in his head that day. It was like, oh, yeah. You see, we find beauty in the messed up, cursed up, destroyed by the flood, judged version of the earth. Can you imagine what it was like before? We find beauty in the bottom of a garbage can. Okay? From, from God's point of view, because when he made it, it was awesome. It was called the Garden of Eden. Right? So, which should excite our hearts because the Bible says that God's going to renovate it and make it back to Garden of Eden-like conditions. Do you think this is cool? Woohoo! Wait till he fixes it in the millennial kingdom. It's going to be awesome, okay? But this is what the Bible says. When we go to the Grand Canyon, we should go, whoa, kids, come here, look at this one. Talk about an object lesson. God, all of us, at the same time, God hates sin. In fact, let's write that out and post it on Facebook. God hates sin right here, right? Because that's what caused it was the flood that caused this thing. When you go to the Badlands and the Dakotas, right, and all that weird topography over there, when you, when you go over here to just outside of Vegas to the Valley of Fire, have you ever been there? Looks like you're on Mars, man. It's absolutely in, incredible. How do you think all that got? How do you think all those things got woven into that and the, the rocks and the different colors and they're swirly? That doesn't happen when they're hard. That was soft. That, that was from God. Every time we go out there, it should go, God hates sin. And if you're not saved, you better get saved. So start taking your non-Christian friends to the Grand Canyon and you got a good object lesson, okay? But for us as Christians, we should say, thank you, Jesus. This planet is messed up and scarred because of sin. You take it serious and you died on the cross for me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And you flip it around. But see, we don't do this. And see, this is the problem. This is what evolution has done. God has left all this on the topography of the earth. He's left all this evidence for people to, to come to the obvious conclusion, God hates sin, you better get right with him. God hates sin, you better get right with him. God hates sin. But what has evolution done? Evolution has come by and says, nope, has nothing to do with that. Millions and billions of years, the geological pressures cause these things. And so what does it do? People don't even think about it, right? 
And so that's what I want to get into. How do we know that this really was created at the time of the flood? Well, the second evidence we're going to see is because of the mountains rising from below, okay? And that's what we're going to take a look, folks. Only these things could have been created at the flood when the mountains arose and the valley sank down. Let's take a look at some of that evidence. Now, one of the most interesting features we find all over the world, by the way, is various twisted, bent, folded, and contorted rock layers all over the world. Have you ever been on 95? You know, uh, coming back from like Death Valley area, come back to Vegas. You ever look on the left side there? You see those uh, mountains over there? Them things are like, they're like this. That's rock. How did that happen? Okay, it's absolutely amazing. It's right all over the place. In fact, some of them are folded at right angles. If you can see that, that's rock. And that's a right angle. How do you fold rock at right angles? Okay, the problem is the rocks. And so the last time I checked, when you try to bend a rock, what happens? It breaks, it crumbles. So how do you get rock at literally 90 degree angles? Okay, as you can see with this one, this was just almost just completely just like a zigzag. That's solid rock. Oh, and by the way, it's going zigzag, and then there's a, a somewhat of a straight layer on top of that. What? How does that happen over millions and billions of years? And remember, because that's how it's supposed to happen. The dust lays a nice layer, and then another 100,000 years go by, and another dust layer, and then they're all nice and neat, perfectly set. That's not what we find. That's not what we find at all, okay? Well, if you listen to evolution, it doesn't make sense. But if you read your Bible, it makes perfect sense. The rock layers were laid down during the time of the flood while they were still soft. That's why they're called sedimentary layers, okay? The Bible says that, as we saw last time, Gabar, I believe, beat up the earth, lasted for 150 days. So all this stuff was going on, okay? And if you guys took a jar of dirt and for 150 seconds went like this, it kind of makes up that dirt pretty good, right? And then if you put it on the counter, what would happen? It would settle out naturally in layers, right? That's what God did to the whole planet. All the dirt, it's called hydrologic sorting. That's why we have the layers. Now, that's how it started, okay, as the dust settled. But then, as we read, what did God do? He made the mountains go up, and he made the valleys come down. So now it's going to start twisting that soft sedimentary layers, okay? The earth rose in various places from the springs of the deep bursting forth from below, and it caused the soft sedimentary layers to rise and bend as well. And so naturally over time, they become hardened into the bent rock layers that we see today. Okay? Evolution has no explanation for this, folks. Okay? Only a soft sedimentary layer causing this happen during the flood uh, does. Okay? In fact, the flood does not explain not only bent rock layers, uh, but all kinds of other weird rock layers that we find all the world. They're called unconformities. Okay? As you can see here, that member is supposed to be all nice and neat and flat. Well, this one's got, first of all, a big giant rock right in the middle of it and the, these layers, and then you got these layers going here, and then you got perfectly flat ones. How in the world did that happen? Over millions and millions of years. And it, it doesn't work, folks. Only a flood explains why we have the layers in the shape that they're in, like this guy shared. And all over the world, we find bent rock layers. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but rock doesn't bend very good. And these bent rock layers indicate they were all bent while they were soft mud. They didn't bend slowly. They bent quickly while they were still soft mud layers. That all happened at the time of the flood. As the mountains lifted up, it's going to cause metamorphic rock to be formed from the pressure on some of these sedimentary rocks. It's going to change them. And at the same time, as it cracks, you will get igneous intrusive rock squirting up through, like the quartz seams going through the limestone all over Arkansas. I think during the first part of the flood, of course, the sediments would settle out horizontally. Layers always form horizontally when they're settled out of water. And then the Bible says the mountains arose and the valley sank down, so the earth wrinkled up, maybe for several factors, maybe the sliding from the uh, 
crack widening at the, as the basalt bulged up, or maybe just the wrinkling effect as the water underneath goes to the surface, the rock's going to settle down in at different rates and wrinkle up. But this is going to cause erosion. The waves were going back and forth across the ocean then, and they would wipe off the surface and deposit new layers on top. So you end up in, in geology what is called an unconformity. You end up with an unconformity with layers at strange angles to each other. It didn't happen over millions of years. It happened during the flood. Just like the Bible says, the scoffers are ignorant of the flood. Well, that's interesting. Oh, by the way, as we saw before, it starts out soft mud and you get these layers. Uh, but as we saw before, it doesn't take millions and billions of years for uh, uh, that to turn into rock, does it? As we saw before with the right conditions and pressures and chemical reaction, uh, it can happen very quickly. And that's, of course, where it came from. Okay, but again, evolution says, no, this happened over millions and millions and millions of years and nice, neat, flat layers. That's not at all what we find. They're twisted, they're contorted, uh, expect, expect, uh, exactly like you'd expect in a flood. In fact, I would say only a flood explains all of this in one fell swoop. Okay, that's why the topography is in the shape uh, that it's in. But it's not just a bent rock layers uh, that they're ignorant of. That's the tip of the iceberg, okay? Also buckled mountain ridges. Now, how do you explain this one, right? Take a look at this mountain ridge, and these are all over the world. Remember, we just saw some bent rock layers? Th that's a mountain ridge. How do you do that to a rocky mountain ridge? It's just like a, an accordion, right? Well, it couldn't happen by evolution, okay? This is all over the world. Buckle up mountain ridges. And they actually admit this. Listen to their own words. Hmm, this looks like throw rugs that have been pushed up against the walls. What kind of force could do that to a whole mountain range? Well, if it was solid at the beginning, you couldn't, okay? But if it was soft and there was a massive worldwide event called a flood, uh, you could produce it, okay? And so that's the question. What is it uh, that could produce that? That's a massive, serious amount of rock. Well, again, if you listen to evolution, <clears throat> it doesn't make sense. <clears throat> but if you read your Bible, it makes perfect sense. The Bible says that at one time, these mountains, just like the rock layers, were at one time soft sedimentary material due to the effects of the flood, right? So when the water erupted from down below, it caused the mountains to rise up and squeeze together above into what we have today. And it goes back to what we saw last week with the hydroplate theory, okay? Massive amount, when the geologic pressure, when the water starts coming up uh, through the earth, okay, and the mantle starts to spread out like that, it's going to face resistance at some point. And just like when you do a throw rug against the wall, once it hits the wall, it starts to crinkle up. That's why we have the mountain ridges that we have today, like this guy shares. This explanation shows us just how rapidly major mountains formed. According to the hydroplate theory, the pre-flood earth had a lot of subterranean water. Increasing pressure in the subterranean water stretched the crust just as a balloon stretches when the pressure inside increases. Failure in the crust began with a microscopic crack which grew in both directions at about three miles per second. The crack, following the path of least resistance, encircled the globe in about two hours. So the water exploded violently out of the rupture. The high pressure fountains eroded the rock on both sides of the crack. This erosion widened the rupture. Eventually the width was so great that the compressed rock beneath the subterranean chamber sprung upward, giving birth to the mid-oceanic ridge that wraps around the earth like the seam of a baseball. The continental plates, the hydroplates, still with lubricating water beneath them, slid downhill away from the rising mid-Atlantic ridge. 
After the massive, slowly accelerating continental plates reached speeds of about 45 miles per hour, they ran into resistances, compressed and buckled. The portions of the hydroplate that buckled down formed ocean trenches. Those that buckled upward formed mountains. Well, that'll explain it. And what will produce that? A flood. Okay. Not evolution, okay? And, uh, but nuts and all. Not only just it explains how we have the, the crumpled forms that we see today, but it also explains why the mountain ranges, oddly enough, just happen to line up with the ocean coastline. You know, as this was happening, pushing towards that way. Uh, like this guy shares. Let's take a look at this. The mountains arose and the valley sank down. So what happened during the flood, the thicker spots of the earth lifted up and the thin spots sank down. See, the earth's crust has very thick places under the continents. It's about 30 miles thick where we're standing. But if you go out into the oceans, the crust is only 3 to 5 miles thick. Continental crust is very thick. Oceanic crust is very thin. So the thin spots would sink down, making someplace else lift up, and the water would rush in. And so the earth is all cracked up into plates, and it still is today, and the plates are still moving a little bit, but that's all because of the flood 4,400 years ago. If you push in on one place of the earth, someplace else is going to bulge up. Sort of like a waterbed. Anybody ever slept on a waterbed before? If you wait till your wife is sound asleep on her side of the waterbed, you tiptoe into the room, get a chair, and jump up as high as you can, and land flat on your side. You can launch her almost to the ceiling. Because when one place goes down, something else has to go up. So that's what happened to the earth during the flood. As it got twisted and shifted around, it began to wrinkle up like a raisin. And it's interesting, if you look at a map, the mountain ranges follow the coastlines in almost every case. The Rocky Mountains are parallel to the Pacific. The Andes Mountains are parallel to the South Pacific. Even the Appalachians are parallel to the North Atlantic. It's like the mountains and oceans formed at the same time. Hmm. It's like God has it right once again in His Word. Why do we have the topography that we have today? It's all been created at the time of the flood, and it didn't happen millions and billions of years ago. It happened about 44, 4,500 years ago from the flood. And so when you take a look at this topography, even the mountain ranges and things of that nature, what is the logical conclusion? God hates sin. And one day, unless you take his one and only way out, he's going to judge sin. And do you see what evolution has done? Here is global evidence. God sending a global message to anybody, even that supposed innocent native. But there is no one innocent, the scripture says. But anyway, so it's a facetious argument. So, but anybody, anywhere on the planet, could get this message that God hates sin. Okay? But evolution is now blinding the eyes of uh, people. Okay? But that's not all. The third one we're going to deal with tonight, and again, next week you want to be here because we're going to take a look at the Grand Canyon and what really caused that, Lord one. Uh, but the third evidence is something that evolution really can't explain, but only a flood does. And that is, for, for some reason, we find marine life on top of mountain. Okay? How many guys, uh, you went fishing, and uh, you just said, you know what, forget this. I'm just really wasting my time. Oh, uh, Jeanette, listen, pay attention to this. Right? You like fishing, right? I know you're nervous shaking your head, but just roll with me. Okay, <laughs> okay. But what you're going to see is, folks, we find all kinds of stuff on the mountains. And the last time I checked, uh, Jeanette, you have to work getting those fish to come out, right? They don't walk up there. Fish don't walk very well. That's my whole point, right? Okay, that, see, that wasn't that bad. It was. I'll give you a piece of gum later. Okay, we find all kinds of stuff on top of mountains, folks. How the world is evolution. As you can see, the first one is seashell. Now, this is wild, okay? We don't just find seashells on the top of mountains. How many guys would say that that's kind of a long ways away from the ocean? Okay. 
but we find tons of them. Why don't you put this in the textbook? For instance, here's one example. Edmund Hillary climbed to Mount Everest in 1953. He discovered something very unexpected at the 26,000 feet level. And he stuck his pick into the ground to pull himself up, and that's when he noticed there were seashells at 26,000 feet up. Uh, in fact, he noticed that now there are so many of them, they were there, tons of them, uh, for the next 3,000 feet up. 3,000 foot layer of seashells. All the way to the top, he found them, he recorded but that's just one mountain. High in the Andes Mountains, this is a picture of one of them. They also find gigantic, that is a fossilized oyster. That's a big guy. That's enough to feed a whole family. All right, that's one. Right? But as we saw before, in the pre-flood world, things were what? Bigger. Okay, and this is at the top of the Andes Mountain, 13,000 feet level. This thing was found up there, and here's some more pictures of it. Uh, the oysters were so big, there were some of them 12 feet across, weighing 650 pounds. That's not rocks he's sitting on. Those are fossilized oysters on the Andes Mountain. What is that doing up there? Here's another photo of, as you can see, even better. Uh, they're massive. And so that's the obvious question. You find something like that, you should ask questions, right? So let's do that. Huh? There's my guy again. How did seashells get all the way to the top of Mount Everest, even the Andes Mountains, let alone weighing in 650 pounds? Right? Inquiring minds want to know. Last time I checked, clams and oysters don't walk too good. Okay, their legs get tired, as you can see, and they can't see very well. But no, seriously, they don't have legs. How many guys realize that? That's a joke. Thank you. All right. Uh, and, and let alone weighing 650 pounds. How are you, what? It doesn't, what? Well, that's still not all. We don't only find clams and oysters on the top of the mountains. We find them, this is doubly weird, in the petrified closed position. Okay, now this is really interesting because what's strange is when a clam dies, if you walk along the beach, what happens? The muscles relax and the shell pops open. That's why you only find half shells, you know, stuff like that. Rarely do you find one open because the birds get to it, it dies, and it pops open. Then the birds get to it. But these are not just found up there on the mountains, but they find them in the closed position, petrified, which means these things died rapidly before they had time to expire and their shells pop open. So that's doubly weird, okay? So how could this be? Well, again, put it all together. Evolution can't explain it. Makes no sense. But if you read your Bible, it makes perfect sense. The Bible says at the time of the floods, we saw the video clip, the springs of the great deep burst forth and cause a massive rapid burial of all kinds of marine life on the bottom of the ocean, right? Because that's where this water's busting forth. Okay, and the dirt immediately, anything around the area for miles and miles and miles is immediately in massive quantities going to get buried. And so as the water continued to burst forth, it eventually caused the ground at the lower elevation that was now filled with dead marine life uh, to buckle up into the mountains that at higher elevation that we see today, right? So let's put it to the test. If this is true, according to the Bible then that which used to live on the bottom of the ocean, things like clams and oysters, uh, and if they were really uh, died quickly, they should be found in petrified closed positions on the top of mountains. If it's true. Hey, they are. Wow, that's interesting. That perfectly agrees with the flood. Oh, and again, by the way, only a flood explains it. Evolution has no answer. For what in the world are you doing with gigantic oysters on the top of mountains petrified in closed position? Okay, they also find whales. Don't see this one in the textbooks. On mountains, on mountains, okay? Uh, we find them on tops of mountains, and here's an actual excerpt from a New York Times article talking about it. Listen to this. He said, scientists have found fossil whales and other marine animals in the mountain sediments in the Andes, indicating that the South American mountain chains rose very, what? Their own words? Rapidly. Oops. Nearly all the fossils were embedded in uh, surface rock and easy to pick up. Best of all, despite weathering, many of these smallest fossils were remarkably intact and easy to study. Like they hadn't been there too long. Interesting. Okay, so the question is this. Let's put it to the test. Hmm? How did whales get on the top 
of the Andes Mountain. Why else, okay? Uh, last time I checked, just like clams and oysters, they don't walk too good. As you can see, they get about just about that far on the beach, and they go, Ugh. and that's about as far as they get. They still got, you know, 13,000 feet to go. So I, I don't know how it got there, right? Uh, let alone wearing se several tons, right? So, well, again, if you listen to evolution, it makes absolutely no sense. But if you read your Bible, it makes perfect sense. The Bible has all the answers. The Bible says at the time of the flood, the springs of the great deep burst forth, caused a rapid burial of all kinds of marine life, which obviously would include whales. Uh, then as the water continued to burst forth, it eventually caused the ground at the lower elevation to slide away, buckle up into the mountains at the higher elevation. And so if this is true, then that which used to live at the bottom of the ocean or even which died and sank to the bottom of the ocean like the whales should be found at the tops of the mountains. If it's true. Hey, it is, Tom. Can you believe that? Wow, that's interesting. In fact, evolutionists admit that this is a major mega serious problem. Okay, one guy said this. The problems with this discovery are obvious. Whales should not be found largely intact in the Andes Mountains. The raising of the mountains should have obliterated them. And only small organisms would survive the twisting, bending, and shaking inherited earthquakes. And they supposedly lifted these mountains to the present's height over many millions of years. Well, duh, maybe that's just it. Maybe it didn't happen over millions and billions of years to form these mountains. Maybe it happened quickly at the time of the flood, just like the Bible states. But no, you can't go in that direction because the Bible says in the last days they're going to scoff specifically at the flood and they're going to be willingly ignorant. Nope, I know, I, I know that makes no sense to find clams and oysters and whales on the top of mountains. What's that? Oh, yeah, that's right. It agrees with the Bible and the Bible has the answer. But no, I'm going to be willingly ignorant. And I'm just, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... I'm going to label this thing. I'm going to call it an anomaly. And then somehow it makes it go away. No, it doesn't. But that's what we've been trained. They just call it an anomaly and do it. This guy, he was actually a contemporary of Charles uh, Darwin, L.A. Uh, Orbigny, whatever. And uh, he admitted, speaking about these deposits, here's what he said. Now listen, this is a guy, this is what's interesting. Two people could look at the same evidence and come to two totally different conclusions, Right? Darwin went one way, but listen to what this guy, he saw this evidence, and here's what he concluded. He said, they were laid down by a flood catastrophe, which destroyed the megafauna and rapidly lifted the Andes to the present height. Right? So this guy saw it, said, hey, like it, lump it, leave it or not, agrees with the Bible. Okay, that's what you're supposed to do in science, right? Deal with the fact. Charles Darwin went another way and made up a story. And now we have to deal with it, this big giant lie, okay? But I don't know. You put all this together, folks, there's enough water down below to fill 10 to 30 of our oceans. We see bent rock layers, craggly mountains all over the world. We see clams and whales and oysters on the top of the mountains. Uh, if I didn't know better, I'd say that there was a worldwide flood. And sometime during that flood, God caused a massive grand uprising from below, and he wrenched the mountains up, caused the valleys to come down, and there's no need to scoff at the Bible. How about you? Right? Which means, I'll say it again, this is kind of the theme for tonight. That means when you leave tonight, it's kind of hard, it's dark, but in the daylight time, look around Vegas. Look at all the sedimentary layers. You'll see them around Vegas. I see them everywhere. They're not flat and even. They're twisted. They're curved. All these things, even Grand Canyon, we'll get to that Lord willing next week, is all evidence of a worldwide flood. And what an easy place to start with witnessing to somebody that, hey, listen, did you see that? How, how did that happen? You know, how, how do you explain that? According to evolution, you can't. I can explain it for you. And did you know what all this means? That means there was a worldwide flood. And that means that God takes sin serious. And that he's going to judge sin. And the Bible says we've all sinned. But can I tell you something? God's made a way out. His name is Jesus Christ. The first time, the only people who survived were people who 
took his word and listened to him and got into the ark, a wooden ark. Today, he says he's going to judge the planet again, and you've got to get into a different piece of wood, the cross of Jesus Christ. But it is sufficient to save you. you need to do. Isn't that the most easiest way to lead into a witness? But evolution has blinded even our eyes. We look at it all the time, and we don't put two and two together. God hates sin. God hates sin. God hates sin. God hates sin. Okay? And dare I say, when you look at it, don't forget to remind yourself as a Christian, thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for saving me from sin. Thank you for rescuing me from the wrath that come. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, 
your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way 
to get off a death row, it's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.